brilliant. It's great to be uh, with you this morning and sadly uh, missed last Sunday. He had a phenomenal time of Remembrance Sunday. Um, was sad not to be with our family here because we were with our family in uh, France. Many of you will know we've uh, helped to plant a church in the south of France, which I like to visit in the summer, uh, but it was November, so anyway. Um, but it was just an amazing time. We had their first, our first French uh, Father Heart Conference. It was just a brilliant time. 110 people came. Um, God, the presence of God just broke in. It was just amazing. It was such a thrill to see French believers responding, getting their hearts healed up. Amazing miracles. One of the French leaders, in fact, two of them said to me they'd never seen so many healings and miracles in a French meeting in France ever before in their lives. You know, and they've been to a lot of meetings. And God, this God's present. He's doing something in France. It's so exciting. And we had um, uh, one guy had a fractured pelvis, and he was prayed for, and that uh, was pain-free for the first time in years, I think. And uh, later, he emailed in the, lady, the text in the leaders, and said, I'm texting all my friends who don't know Jesus. I don't normally do that sort of thing, but I can't keep silent from what God has done in my life. And so good. And there was another lady who responded to a word of knowledge about someone who'd been injured by a dog. And she'd been out jogging six months prior and got bitten by a dog while she was uh, jogging. And um, I'm not trying to put fear in you if you jog, by the way. Um, <laughs> stood to avoid the dogs. Um, she was bitten by this dog and uh, still had a painful scar and bruising on her leg from like, even six months later. And uh, got prayer and the pain decreased. And she said, even the, the scar shrank. I mean, obviously, I didn't see it myself. Show me your thigh, you know. Uh, it would have been awkward. But she testified to say God had uh, done something in her leg and her pa- the pain had decreased massively. And the scar she um, had felt had uh, disappeared and gone, uh, gone much smaller. Um, so that was, that was amazing and lots of other backs and necks. A lady knelt down. She had arthritic knees and uh, we prayed for her and she knelt down for the first time in a long time, pain-free. Everyone was just so excited to see God moving. That's so fun. And then... and. Loads of other stuff, and then loads of just heart healing as God just broke in and touched people's hearts as he always does at the Father Heart Conferences. People hear about him as Father. Just phenomenal. As one kind of live example of a lady, she stood up to testify. She said, there's someone in this church that I fell out with, and we haven't been uh, friends for a, a long time, but we've reconciled today. And they hugged each other in front of the church. Everyone's crying. <laughs> it was just so beautiful just to see um, just how God touches people's lives. So, yeah, just thank you for your um, prayers for all the teams that travel. And if you want to get on a team that travels, you can sign up online to come and uh, do one of these trips with us and see what God's doing around the world. And, and so um, this morning, we are, though, continuing our series on culture. Steve um, uh, brilliantly spoke on generosity last week. And, uh, you know, a vision is about where we're going, but culture is about who we're going to be. And we really, as a church, learned many years ago that it was critical not to understand just where you're going, but who do you want to be on the journey? And I, I don't know about you, but um, so often I see the, the picture of the church portrayed in the movie. I was what Caroline and I went to see the movie Crazy Rich Asians. Anyone seen that movie? Oh, dear, it didn't do so well in the box office. Anyway, um, I mean, it's all right. You know, probably more of a DVD. Uh, um, but anyway, it, it was fine. But what was fascinating about it was that this is, you know, kind of romantic comedy type movie. Then smack bang in the middle of it, there is a Bible study. I mean, like a full-on Bible study. And it's like uh, they're like sitting around literally and they read from the Bible. I'd never seen anything like it before in a Hollywood movie until, and I thought, this is amazing, until you realize where they're going with it. And where they're going with it is that the women in the Bible study are all kind of 
controlling, gossiping, manipulating. They're the bad guys in the story. And, it, and it, the, the thing that stood out was that this, there was no other mention of faith, of God, or Christianity, or anything. It just was like smack banging in the middle. There's this Bible study, and you realize, oh, okay, we're being set up to be the bad guys here. And that was what's happening. And don't you see that picture of the church being painted over and over and over again? Whenever you see it mentioned on the media, so often, sadly, there's this agenda to picture the church as a kind of backwater, uh, out-of-date, manipulative, controlling, miserable bunch of people. And that's the story that the world is being told, that the church is... Anyone else recognize that, that picture? You've seen it. That's why we're praying for Christians to get involved with the media, to change the story, because... I travel the world, and the church I see is very different from that. <laughs> I've been to lots of nations and visited lots of ch- churches, and I see a people who are faithful, who are loving, who are humble, who are servant-hearted, who lay their lives down for the poor. That's the church I see. <laughs> I see a church of, that's very different to the one that we're being sold and uh, that's being told. And I am believing that we're going to see more and more churches look like the ones that I see. And there'll be more and more in the public sphere. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. He's calling his church to shine again and to change the image that the world has of the church. And that's what I want to build. That's the kind of ch- Anyone want to join in? <laughs> that's what we're building, isn't it? And so this morning we're looking at this whole theme of culture because what's critical is that we not just that we start churches and plant churches, but the kind of churches that we plant, that they've got a culture of honor, of authenticity, of acceptance, of, of uh, generosity. But, and then lastly, we'll look today at a culture of courage. What does that look like? What does courage look like in a group of people? What does it look like to make churches filled with courageous people? Is that what you think of when you think of the church? It's a people of courage? Because it should be. And, and that's what we believe the church should be. And that's what we're believing God is calling us to, to build. Banning Liebscher, who leads a church in the States, said this, I'm more and more convinced that people don't fulfill their destiny, not because of a lack of training, but because of a lack of courage. Someone else said, the two most powerful weapons are courage and persistence. Nothing can stop a person who is armed with both. The two most powerful weapons are courage and persistence. And so I want to look at courage. What does a culture of courage look like this morning? But one thing I do know is that you guys are already being courageous. It's not like we're kind of speaking to, I'm speaking to a fearful bunch of people here. I know that you guys are already being courageous, who are already living out courage in your everyday lives. So why don't you illustrate that? Turn to your neighbor and give them a story or someone around you, behind you, if you're not sitting next to anyone, a story of where you've seen courage operating in your life, where you have been courageous. Why don't you just do that for a minute? Hundreds and hundreds of stories of courage, and you can carry on those over coffee afterwards. I'd love just to hear one, though, uh, just because I love hearing stories. One story, does anyone want to come and give a story? I can't start from when you're six and right the way through, so just a short story, but a story of courage. Would you like to come and share? So I'll come on, brother, up, yeah. Short story of courage, brilliant. Thank you. That took a bit coming up here. Um, uh, I'm quite a quiet little mouse, really. And uh, uh, about 2010, I was at a church in near uh, Bista, and uh, they had a call to start doing street pastors in Bista, and uh, I thought that's not for me, <laughs> no way. Uh, so seven years later, I've been doing it, and I'm uh, signed up with Street Angels in Bedford now. Fantastic. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> but I can only say I, I just so thoroughly recommend closing your eyes and sticking your hand up um, 
it changed me completely. Yeah. Very wow. good. Thank you so much. It's amazing. So I want to look at courage, and I want us to look at Jesus, because, you know, I think when you think about something like growing in courage, you know, with Christmas coming, you might think, oh, it's just another thing, oh, you know, I've got the shopping to do and all that as well, it's just another thing to add on, but when you think about it in the context of Jesus, I think it gives us a different image. When we see Jesus clearly, because what Paul paints when one of the earliest followers of Jesus, is a, as he writes about Jesus, he said, when you come to Jesus, it's like, the, like a veil is taken from your eyes. Before you see him, it's like your eyes are covered. But once you've seen him, and this is what he writes, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord, and the Lord who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. Growing in courage is not about us trying really hard to be more courageous. It's about us looking at Jesus. It's about us gazing at him. And as we do, it's like the veil is taken away and we get transformed into his image. The clearer we see him, the more we will be like him. Uh, and so it's not a pressure thing that I want to talk about this morning. This is what it says in Matthew 11. Eugene Peterson, who uh, uh, passed away recently, wrote the message version, translation of the Bible, a phenomenal uh, legacy he's left us. And he writes this, Matthew 11:28. Jesus' words, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. <laughs> That's what I want to do. <laughs> Let's do that this morning. Let's walk with him. Let's learn the unforced rhythms of his grace and be transformed into his image. And so I did that this week, just looking at uh, one of the Gospels. Looking, I chose Mark because I was under time pressure, and so it's short. Uh, <laughs> the, the Gospel of Mark, how does Jesus live this life of courage? What does it look like? And just a few illustrations that I picked out. And the one that really stands out, out of all the others, uh, because of the sheer number of instances and illustrations from the life of Jesus, is the courage to speak. The courage to speak. And many of you will know my story uh, for years, ever since I could remember. I had a terrible fear of public speaking, mainly because when I speak publicly, often my face and my neck will go red. And so I was just terrified. I would avoid public speaking at all costs. I would just put, you know, push other people forward or in a small group even. I'd be kind of trembling if I had to share. It'd be just a horrendous experience. I hated public speaking. And then in worship, similar to today, I had uh, is the closest thing I've ever had to a vision. And I had this image of Jesus. And he was kind of standing where uh, the front row is, that kind of distance away from me. And he, and he looked at me and he said, Simon, have you done everything I've asked you to do with your life? And I said, no, Lord. And suddenly I realized this is a scene from the end of my life. This is the end of my life, like I'm living it. 
And, uh, and he said, why not? And then I noticed that there was a crowd of people around. And as, as he said, why not? They all st- stepped forward to hear my answer. And then I noticed who they were because they were all like beaten and bandaged and bloodied. And one was missing a leg, I remember, on crutches. One was missing an arm. And I suddenly realized who these were. These were like the martyrs, people who'd given their lives for Christ, who'd been persecuted for Christ. And, and Jesus had said to me, have you done everything that I've asked you to do with your life? And I'd said, no. And he said, why not? And I was about to say, because I'm afraid of going red. And I thought to myself, that is going to be the most embarrassing moment of my entire life. That's going to be more embarrassing than all the other embarrassing moments squished together into one moment and made a moment. That's going to be horrible. I never want to be in that moment when they've given everything for Christ and I haven't because I held back. Why? Because I was afraid of going red. That's going to be awful. And I decided at that moment, I'm never, going to make, I'm never going to turn down a speaking request again or stop speaking because of that fear and I never have I've turned them down for other reasons but never for that reason interesting the one thing that I've never done since then is I never preach in a white shirt I mean, I'm totally dead to it. Honestly, Caroline sometimes says, you were so red today. I'm like, I was I really? It, don't even, it doesn't even come into my mind. Apart from, I've never preached in a white shirt. I have to do it at weddings, which I dislike. But I've never done it on a Sunday. And this morning, I was choosing a shirt, and I can't choose gray. Um, so I thought, do you know what? I'm going to go with a white shirt. Because sometimes... Sometimes you have to kick against the voice, don't you? The voice that says no, the voice that says you can't, the voice that says hide. Be, be. Sometimes, and it's amazing actually over the years as I've shared that story, how many people I've realized why that had to be part of my story was because so many people are trapped in fear over speaking. And, and you see that through the life of Jesus, how much courage he had to display just to speak. You see, you have been given a unique gift. And I know Disney want to convince us that all the animals chat and have conversation. I mean, they, they just don't talk like we talk. I'm sure they have communication, and forgive me for any animal rights people here. I know they have communications. We should care for the animals. But they don't have the power of speech like we have it. You are made in the image of God, and you create with your voice. Life and death is in the power of your tongue And so the enemy wants to shut you up any way he can to silence you, to stop you writing, to stop you speaking, to stop you singing, to stop you sharing. And you see how Jesus broke through that. It says he he faced every temptation that we face and yet did not sin. So I can tell you this, he faced the temptation to keep silent when he needed to speak. And just a few illustrations, he called people to repent. Mark 1, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. I can tell you, that was not a popular message. He he asked awkward questions. Mark 2, immediately Jesus, perceiving his spirit, the religious leaders questioned them within themselves. He said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? He could have just kept quiet, but he probes for an answer. He gave answers that weren't popular. There's a young man, a rich young man, comes to join, say, hey, I want to join your crew, Jesus. I want to walk with you. I mean, he was wealthy. He could have funded so much ministry. And yet Jesus says to him, it says he loved him, and he said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you've give, you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, the young man went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. You ever had to give an answer that wasn't popular? I talked to lots of you guys who are young people at school. I remember talking to one young man. He said, my RS lesson is like a lion pit. And I know if I open my mouth, I'm just going to get mauled. 
But every week I have to open my mouth because I can't stay silent. Can't stay, even if I'm the only voice. How about you? You ever held back when you need to speak up? It's gone very quiet in here right now. <laughs> what about facing the fear of being misunderstood? So many of us have this fear, but if I speak, I'll be misunderstood and someone will mis- misunderstand me. And that's a legitimate fear. We all face it. But Jesus faced that. In Mark chapter 4, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He didn't speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. He risked being misunderstood by speaking parables. Why did he do it then? Because he only wanted those who really wanted to know to know. Because he knows that once you know something, you, you potentially can be judged by not following through on what you know. And so the le- in one sense, the less you know, the better for you. The more you know, the more you're held accountable for what you know. And so Jesus did not want those who did not want to know to know. He only wanted those who really wanted to know. Have you got ears to hear, he'd say to them, then let you hear. If you've got ears to hear, then hear. He only wanted those who really wanted to search for the truth to know. So for everyone else, he, he concealed it in parables. But in doing so, he risked being misunderstood massively. And he was understood again and again. In fact, some people went out of their way to misunderstand him because it suited their own political ends. And you see that in the trial at the end of his life. Jesus risked this fear of being misunderstood. How about us? Because you know what? If you want to comment on anything, if you want to speak about any issue, you are going to risk being misunderstood. We've got to get over that fear. We've got to have courage to overcome that fear because there is a spirit of political correctness going around the world and it is silencing good men and women. Because they're afraid of being misunderstood. They're afraid that someone will... And people will misunderstand you. Because if you speak on anything of significance, some people will maliciously misunderstand you on purpose for their own ends. We've got to break the fear of being misunderstood. And yes, we can explain and clear things up and we won't do it perfectly. We'll have to apologize. But the equal and opposite error of staying silent is far, far worse. He made the big asks. Mark 11, he sent two disciples ahead because he needed a donkey. And he said to them, go, and go to the village ahead of you. You'll find a cult which no one's ever sat on. Untie it, bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back immediately. Jesus again and again makes the big ask. If you're a leader in any form of leadership in the church or the marketplace, you've got to get used to making the big ask. And our fear is, what if they say no? What if they don't like me just because I've asked? What, what, what? And all that goes around our heads. But the reality is courage. <laughs> courage to speak because leaders ask people. They ask people, not just because they want to, you know, more pawns to move around the chess board. They ask people because they want to join people in with God's army, with his agenda, with his mission, with the thing that you've been called to do. It's, it's about the big asks. Jesus spoke when he could have stayed silent, and he also was silent when he could have spoken. There's another interesting thing. Sometimes it takes more courage to keep your mouth shut than to speak. Mark chapter 8 says this, The Pharisees began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, and he sighed deeply in his spirit, and he said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he then refuses to answer them. You're like, Jesus, this is your moment. This is the moment where you could get what you know, you've come for, to explain to everyone why you're here. They're looking for a sign. But he said, no, they're not really looking. He discerned what was in their hearts, which was just to trap him, And he kept his mouth shut. Sometimes we have to learn that 
the motive of the question is just as important as the question itself. So if someone's asking you a question and that motive is just to trap you or to bring you into disrepute, the best thing you can do is keep your mouth shut. And that takes courage. Because sometimes in those moments we want to talk and talk and kind of explain, but you'll just get yourself into deeper and deeper mess. Keep your mouth shut. That takes courage. And Jesus modeled that and walked it out for us. Here's the point. Life and death is in the power of your tongue and my tongue. And one of the greatest journeys for each one of us is the courage to speak. The courage to speak. And Jesus came and he said, by the power of the Spirit in me, I lived a life where I spoke when I was meant to speak and I kept silent when I was meant to keep silent. How about you? Come follow me. Come join me. Are you willing to risk it? Being misunderstood? Are you willing to ask the big questions? To, to, to call people to repentance? To speak into people's hearts? You guys who are young people at school, are you willing to risk standing up and being counted? What does it look like to live with the courage to speak? Sometimes it's just the courage to say hello. <laughs> I love this story I was reading from a few years ago. I was swimming with my little boy at the local pool, and we got talking to a lady there. She commented on my tummy, I'm pregnant, and congratulated me. Just a note, guys, never do that, by the way. If you're male, don't do that. Females can sometimes get away with it. She told me her new husband and her were having, have been trying to for, have a baby for a year, but haven't conceived yet. She'd love to be pregnant. I asked if she had faith in God. She said, yes, in all the gods. I said, I'd love to pray that God blesses you with a child. She said, please, right... So right there at the pool, we prayed. I told her from the, I was from the King's Arms. She said, oh, the people there are lovely. I asked how she knew, and she said, some KA folk go to a car boot sale in Milton Keynes and pray for people. I invited her. Who knew? I invited her to the carol service, and she said she'd try to come. She also said, if she gets pregnant, she'll come and find me. There's power in your voice. And sometimes it's simply the power to say, hello, by the side of a pool or out somewhere. What does it look like to have the courage to speak? I just want to pause right there. If you know immediately, forget everything else I'm going to say, whatever else we're going to hold up of the life of Jesus, you know this is the one for you. It's the courage to speak. Why don't you just stand to your feet and we'll just take a moment just to ask the Lord to pray for his help. Come, Spirit of God. We won't be long. But if there's someone standing near you, why don't you just put a hand on a, a shoulder? There's some people, it's the courage to sing for some others, it's, the, it's the, the courage to, to share your faith. For some, it's just the courage to say hello. <laughs> I felt though there was someone, as I was praying this morning, there was someone, you were grabbed by your parents, by, the, by one of your parents by the throat, you and a sibling, you were both grabbed. And since that moment, there's been a real fear over speaking. Is that for you? Just raise a hand. I just felt there was someone here who had that, that instance happen to him. You were grabbed by the throat by a parent, and I think it happened to you and a sibling. Is that anyone? Just wave at me. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I felt there's someone here for six years, God's been speaking to you about an injustice that you need to speak up on. Six years, 2012, he spoke to you about an injustice. Just raise a hand if that's you. Yeah, thank you. There's a couple of people. Come, Spirit of God. We just pray right across this room. We pray for courage. We break the fear. Why don't you just pray after me? Father, forgive me 
for giving in to the spirit of fear. Thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit who gives me the courage to speak. Thank you, Father, that this is not hard, but your yoke is easy. Teach me your rhythm of grace in your name. As you confess your sin, as I confess mine, he is so faithful to forgive you and wash you and set you free from a fear. And it's time to stand up and speak and to sing and to, to confront when necessary and to challenge and to be honest. And we just say, come, Spirit of God, in your school, in your workplace, in your home, in your families. It's time to stand up and speak. We just break off you the fear that would hold you back, the stammering tongue, the redness, the embarrassment. And we just say, Jesus, come right now through all of that. Rise up and be courageous. In Jesus' name. Only you grab your seats. A few other things that you see from the life of Jesus. That's the, the major one that stands out again and again and again. There's secondly, the courage to confront. Someone once said, there's too many people praying for the mountains of difficulty to be removed when what they really need is the courage to climb them. <laughs> You know, there's a time to pray. There's a time for difficulty to be removed. But there's a time just to say, someone's got to do something about this. Someone's got to stand up and be counted. We need a perspective change. Because you see, again and again, Jesus stood up. He stood up in areas of injustice. The disciples were, were, were the little children were coming. And the disciples said to them, you know, get away. He hasn't got time to pray for you. And it says Jesus rebuked them. He rebuked them and said, let the children come to me, for such as these belongs the kingdom of heaven. There was an injustice going on, and Jesus could have kept quiet. I mean, these were the disciples. They were on his team. You know, he didn't want to upset them. No, no, there's an injustice going on. It's time to stand up and speak. He challenged leaders. You see it as he goes into Jerusalem, and he challenges the leaders there. They, they ask him difficult questions, and he throws them right back in their face. There's a, there was a, an ability to speak to leaders, and some of, you, some of us need to get free from that fear. You know, what I love about the story of David and Goliath, when you read that story, is not just that David turned up and fought Goliath, it's that he ran to the battle line. That's what he says. I mean, if it were me, I'd be like, at least I'm going to wait till Goliath comes to me. <laughs> I think I might be, you know, find the good ground and wait. No, 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 David, it says he ran to the battle line. And Jesus does, does that. You see it again and again, as I've been reading Mark's gospel this week, you see sometimes he waits for the battle to come to him, but very often he goes to the battle. He looks it up. He, he, makes it a, he provokes a situation. Like in his day, for example, there was this issue about working on the Sabbath, and it all becomes so religious and uptight. And, and even so, they didn't even want him to pray for people on the Sabbath, which he thought was ridiculous. Uh, although he, grew, he agreed with some of the other things about the, the Sabbath, but that, he was, he was just ridiculous. And so it's says there was one moment where they were, they were looking for an, an opportunity to trap him. And so he looks for a guy who's sick in the room and he says, stand up. And he heals the guy right in front of them, even though he knows that they're looking for an opportunity. He could have waited till after the meeting. Come and see me later. I'll sort it out tomorrow. I'll pray for you on Sunday. No, no, no. He does it there and then in their faces. Why? Because he, he runs the battle. Sometimes there's issues of injustice where, yeah, we need to wait for them to come for, to us. But other times we need to run to the battle lines. Jesus saw differently, difficulties differently to us. You know, we look at Goliath and think, look at all the armor. Jesus looks at Goliath and says, what a massive forehead. You know, there's just, 
he just sees the battle differently to the way we see it. And it's time for us to start to see it with his eyes. What area do you need to stand up and confront? What's the area for you? I mean, I mean, think about the, area, the issue of abortion. You know, in the UK, there are now 800 abortions every day, 200,000 every year. 39% of them are repeats. I know it's a, it's a complex area, but someone's got to stand up. Someone's got to stand up. Something's got to be different, and so many women are not even being given an option. They're the only option they're being given through the pressure of society, through the choices they're being offered. Someone's got to stand up. And if you were here and you've had an abortion, or if you were here and you were a father that encouraged your partner to have an abortion, or a parent who encouraged your daughter to have an abortion, you know what? There is grace and forgiveness for you. There is mercy. There is nothing that goes beyond the grace of God. And you need to know that's the kind of community we will be. Is there is no judgment. There is no looking down. There is no kind of finger-wagging spirit behind this. But at the same time, the church needs to be that place, but it also needs to be the place that rises up men and women who will say, Something's got to change here. At least let women have the, the facts and the options that are available to them so they can make an informed decision, not one that's informed by an ideology. Someone's got to speak. Someone's got to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. Someone needs to speak out on that issue and many others. And I believe the church is time. Because if we're silent, who else is going to speak up? And if we're silent, then our whole nation and the nation is just go to hell in a handbasket, and we are left with something that where we were meant to be salt and light, and the salt and light just kept its mouth shut. And it's time for the church to rise up and to speak into issues and injustice, but it might not be that one, it might be a different one, but what is it for you? And where is the courage going to come? Because there are some battle lines that will come to us, but there are some other battle lines that we need to run to, <laughs> and we need to stand up for injustice, and Jesus modeled that. And then there's the courage to reach. Jesus displayed again and again the courage to reach people, to reach us through baptism. You know, he was baptized when he didn't need to be. Why? Because he wanted to identify with our sinfulness. He reached us. And you see his life, and you look at it in Mark 1, immediately, right at the beginning, you see a, a man who's walking around touching those who are sinful, touching those who are poor, touching those who are diseased and, and sick. He moved in a whole different way to the religious leaders around him. He, was, he, was a, a, he had the courage to reach, and it took courage. He risked his reputation. Why is he hanging out with sinners? Maybe there's something wrong with him. Maybe his teaching isn't quite what we thought it was. Why is he hanging out with those? He, it took, he risked his reputation. He risked his comfort. He risked everything to do what he did, but he had the courage to risk. I remember the first time I volunteered at the night shelter and took a... Uh, began to volunteer there regularly. And man, it was a learning experience. First I learned, why do you have so much sugar in your tea? I mean, seven, eight, nine teaspoons. It just was totally alien to my middle-class world. But then I, as I listened to the stories, I began to realize, when you're on the streets all day, you burn a lot of energy. <laughs> you need energy going in because you've burned a lot of energy when you're out on the streets all day. And then I began to listen to people's stories and serve them food and realize, you know what, well, there are no quick fixes here. This is not about a quick prayer and a bless you. This is about walking along someone who, aside someone who has been battered by life. And listening to their stories, I realized there's another thing. One of the most powerful things you can do is to listen to someone else speak. 
and to share their story and to sit with them and to pray and to care and to offer options. But there's something about having the courage to reach the poor and the sick and the courage to reach the oppressed. And that was someone was sharing just this week with me how I, they'd had a shoulder injury for years, three years, hadn't slept properly, chronic stabbing pain. And I prayed for them and I rebu- he said, you rebuked a spirit of infirmity. And I've never had a pain since that moment. <laughs> That's not that all sickness is related to spiritual oppression, but that one was, and there's a courage to go there. <laughs> there's a courage to set people free. Jesus modeled this for us. Courage to speak, a courage to confront, a courage to reach, of course, a courage to die, which you know we don't know if we'll have the grace for until it's our moment, but many of our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world are finding grace in God, finding a courage to die. And then there's a courage to trust. And Jesus, it says in in Mark 3, he appointed 12 who he named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. Jesus trusted people with his message. He entrusted those around him. He, he gave himself to a community of people. And that's why I think it's a culture of courage. It's not just about individuals expressing courage. It's about building something together that encourages each one of us to take, take further steps of courage. Jesus trusted himself and trusted them with his message. And breakthrough, I believe, comes as we get not just one or two or three people with courage, but a whole culture of courage working together. You know, I, I uh, told you before probably when I uh, shared my story of getting free from pornography and the addiction to pornography, which I had for many years, I shared it one time at a group of uh, young people and um, uh, 100 or so young people. And at the end of a couple of days, um, after I'd shared that story, and God had really broken into so many lives, one young lady, she stood up and she said, "Um, Simon, thank you so much for your courage to share your story. I've never heard a leader share a story like that before. I think many people think this is a man's issue, but you need to know this is also a woman's issue, and I've been addicted to pornography for six years. But God has set me free, I believe, this weekend. And uh, I'm just trusting him. I've never told anyone about it before. I've kind of come out of the shame of it. And I've got people who are around me now and kind of, kind of walk with me through it. And just, yeah, just been such an amazing life change this weekend. And then what happened over the next couple of days was six other w- young women also stood up and said, it was also my battle. Because <laughs> what happens? Courage multiplies. <laughs> I shared my story <laughs> She then shared her story. Imagine each, each one of those six women then went and shared their story with two or others. Suddenly you've got 20-odd people who have been set free through one moment of courage. How about you? What about a 1,000 of us taking steps of courage? What would it look like to the world around? How would that multiply as you take courage, but also share your stories, and also share your stories of where you didn't take courage, where you bottled it, where you, where you, where you, you, you wanted, to take, wanted to be courageous and weren't. That's also part of the journey. That also sets people free. It liberates people. Our culture of courage creates a place where it's okay to take risks, and sometimes they come off, and sometimes they don't. It's okay to share your story and your journey. It's okay to share those steps, however small. Because remember this, something that is courageous for you won't be courageous for the person next to you necessarily. And something that's courageous for them might not be courageous for you. So we celebrate their courage. We celebrate their steps. And as we do that for one another, I'll tell you what, it multiplies. It grows. And we've already got hundreds of stories of it happening. But I'm believing for so much more. 
a people of courage. The church should have a heart of courage right at the center of it. What does it look like for you? Where's he calling you? Is it a courage to speak? Is it a courage to confront? Is it a, a courage to, to take a step in some other way? John Maxwell said this, if you're growing, you'll be living out of your comfort zone. Growth and courage go hand in hand. No courage, no growth. <laughs> no courage, no growth. But Jesus says this, come follow me. Come follow me. Learn my unforced rhythms of grace. Don't make this a stressful thing or a hard thing. Just walk with me. Just stay in step with me and you will grow in courage. Take the next step that he's asking you to. What is it for you this week? What does it look like? Take that step and you together with us will build a culture of courage that will be sought and right in the world. Amen. Let's just take a moment to pray. We need to just come in for a landing. But very quickly, if you felt as I was speaking, you know what, there is some injustice I need to confront. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in the bigger scene. Why don't you just, you know your heart was pounding. God's been speaking to you. Why don't you just stand to your feet quickly if you realize that God is calling you to speak into injustice in some way. And you know it takes wisdom. Courage without wisdom is just recklessness. So it takes wisdom and winsomeness. Why don't you just stand to your feet? If there's someone near you, just stand with them for a second. Just say, come Holy Spirit. We just pray for a spirit of courage and wisdom to stand for injustice, to stand and to speak. And we just say, Lord, let the, the spirit of wisdom fall on each one who's st standing. Let them be at the forefront of bringing your kingdom and your light. Lord God, we pray for a church that doesn't shrink back, but for a church that stands up. A church that doesn't keep silent when it should be speaking, but a church that speaks out loud and clearly, shaking maybe, faltering, but boldly, standing for your name. In Jesus' name.